So this morning, it's going to be, I hope it's going to be a challenging message. I hope it's going to be a message that convicts you a little bit, kind of kicks you into gear, makes you take stock of things that are going on in your life. And, and it's not here to condemn anybody, but it's here to convict. You guys know the difference between condemnation and conviction, right? Condemnation means that there's no way out. You're stuck where you are. You are, you are doomed, if you will. But conviction is when the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, you know what, we need to change some things, but, but here's the answer. Here's the way out. You're not stuck where you are. And this morning, I want, I want to be challenged. And uh, as you know, as I've said before many times, almost every time the pastor's preaching, it's something that, that God's convicting and working on their heart. And we just get to share it with the rest of you because, you know, misery loves company and all that jazz. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, this morning I've entitled it Personal Responsibility. And this is actually going to be a two-part message. I had intended it to be a one-part message, and as I was preparing it, I had way too much stuff for one part, so I figured we could either be here till 2 o'clock tonight, or we can do some more of it next week. So that's what I opted for. And uh, so this morning, we're going to kind of deal with the theology side of it, the background side of it, what the scripture has to say about uh, uh, responsibility in a believer's life. And next week, we're going to dig into the, the, the practical application. How do we, we look at what, what God's Word had to say, and how do we apply that in our lives? So a couple of the prevailing ideas that I wanted to deal with are ideas in today's society that just drive me absolutely bonkers. And they keep ramping up. They keep getting worse. And the first of that is that nothing is my fault. Everything going on in my life is somebody else's fault. And we see that time, and we see that in our, in our kids' life. We see that in, in workers' life. I mean, we have people all the time, they're, they're, talking, you know, they're, they're blaming somebody else for everything, and they take no responsibility for, for their own actions. They take no responsibility for the stuff that's going on in their life. You know, people are doing poor at work, so they want to blame their boss. All oh, the reason things are rough because i got a bad boss. Not because you show up to work late every day and you don't apply yourself. Or they want to blame it on their, oh, I just didn't get trained well enough. When really you just didn't pay attention during training. They want to blame everything on somebody else. Or what about kids? They want to blame their parents for everything. It's their fault for everything. There was, uh, you guys all know who, who Jeff Foxworthy is? He tells us, he's got his little standard routine, and he says this. He goes, you know what? You see people going on Oprah and all these talk shows, and they're talking about how bad their parents were, and that's how they're, they're has turned around. He's like, just once, just once, I'd like somebody to go on there and say, my mama was great, my daddy was great, I'm just a poophead. <laughs> because we all want to blame stuff on other people. I remember with my kids, when, when we were growing up, they would get in trouble. And when they were real little, I used to do this to them all the time because they'd get in trouble and they'd get so mad. And I'd walk in there and I'd say, are you mad at me? And they're like, yes, I'm mad at you. And I'm like, why are you mad at me? Because you got me in trouble. Like, I got you in trouble. Well, why are you in trouble? Why well, did this? Who did that? I did. So did I make you do that? No, I did it. So why are you mad at me? I didn't get you in trouble. You did it. So the funny thing is, even now, when, when, when that happens, they get mad. I ask them, are you mad at me? And they all say no. Because they know the, they know the answer. Even though I know they're mad at me because they think I got them in trouble. But yeah, we... <laughs> We, we blame other people, and it's not just kids. Adults do it too. I mean, there's class action lawsuits right now going against McDonald's because, because people put on a bunch of weight and they're blaming McDonald's. Well, don't eat three Big Macs a day every day for every meal. That's not McDonald's fault. 
That's your fault. Or the people that are suing tobacco companies because they got cancer. There's been warnings on cigarettes for as long as I've been alive. If you continue to smoke, you've got to take responsibility for your own choices. It's not their fault. We know it's addicting. We know it'll kill you. What about this one? We want to take away guns off the we want to take away guns because guns kill people. It's the people that are doing that. It's not guns. We want to lay blame on everything except for our own personal decisions and actions. And the truth is, is that we have to take that personal responsibility. All this stuff is not somebody else's fault. I'm not overweight because someone invented spoons. You know, and, and, and I get it. I mean, there, there are some things that, that some people have greater advantages than others. I, I get that. There, there's, 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 there's truth in that. You know, we, we have people that, that are on the street selling drugs and, and doing all kinds of things, and they say, oh, I have to do it. I have no other choice. I agree that, that the, the people that had a, a richer family up the street had it better off than you. They, they aren't as likely to get into what you're getting into, but you still had a choice. Everybody still has a choice. You know, when I talk to my wife, you know, there's some things when I look at, you know, uh, let's face it, I'm, I'm overweight. I, I know that. I eat too much. Food is, me and God are going to have a talk about why food tastes so good. See, look at that. Even just making jokes, I'm blaming somebody else. When the truth is, I need to put the fork down sometimes. I get off my butt and, and run or something. I, I, I get that I have responsibility in that. But I also understand that, that like for someone like my wife who, who can just stop eating whenever, and, and I struggle with that, I, but I recognize it about myself, and I need to do something about that. I have to take personal responsibility. I have to understand that I'm not Joseph and just can't eat all day every day. But Joseph's not as handsome as I am, so I think we're even, right? <laughs> The second idea that I want to deal with is entitlement. This idea of somebody owes you something. And this is a big one right now. Is somehow people think that because I I walk on this earth that somebody owes me something. Just because I exist, you guys owe me something. And it goes from everything from, you know, I deserve or I'm owed respect, which you're not. You need to earn that. To... To, I need, you know, the government has to take care of me. That's a big one right now. And, and people think that, that they're owed something from our government. Or from churches. People think that they're owed something from the churches. Now, granted, we're all here and we're glad that we can help. And I'm glad that there's programs in place for people that actually need it. You know, for the woman who, who, whose husband was killed and she's left with four children, we need to help her. We need to make sure she's taken care of. Truthfully, the government should never have to get involved. People should take care of that. But it doesn't happen, and uh, I'm glad that it happened. But there's also people that keep having kids that are on welfare just to get a bigger check, and they keep, I mean, they're, they're taking advantage of the system. And that's not okay. They need to take personal responsibility for their own lives. And even in our sports programs today, drives me crazy. You know, when, when I was little, like, you know, T-ball age, it's okay that everybody gets a ribbon. But even when I was in Little League, everybody got a participation trophy, but there was still a definite different trophy for the person that got first and second place. Nowadays, there's no winners. They just give out a trophy for everything. They give out a ribbon for everything. If you just showed up, you get a ribbon. 
And the problem is, is making people think that no matter what they do, they're owed some sort of a claim. They're owed a trophy. They're owed something. And they get out into the real world, and, and it doesn't work like that. And then they get mad and think that, no, they deserve I mean, I, I show up to work every day, and I, I know I get a paycheck, but that's, that, that's not, I should be getting praise, and I should be getting awards just for coming to work. We've, we've done a disservice to our kids when we teach them these things. Because the fact of the matter is, is that we don't deserve anything. Matter of fact, people that are so hung up on what they deserve, if you take a step back and think about it, you don't want what you deserve. Amen. Yeah, you don't want what you deserve. Because if we went to God and said, I deserve what I deserve, then you'd say, all right, well, let me just take back Jesus and let me give you what you deserve. The truth is, we deserve death. We deserve punishment for our sin. We deserve all those things. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. Amen? As a people, we have lost our sense of personal responsibility. And the reality is is that the devil doesn't have to attack most of us. We go ahead and mess up our own life just fine on our own. The devil's like, I don't even have to mess with this one. He's got it. He's messing his own life up. But we're still quick to blame the devil for all this stuff. I had a... <laughs> so, most of you guys remember, there's a new video game they called out called Fallout 4. And they released this video game. And there's a guy in Russia that's suing Bethesda, who's the maker of this video game, because when he got it, he says, I only intended to play it for a couple hours. He ended up playing it for three weeks straight. He never went to work, so he lost his job. His wife left him because... The dude went crazy and wouldn't leave his computer. And he's suing Bethesda for not putting a warning on their game that says that it could have been addictive. How is that for lack of personal responsibility? Especially if you played any of their other games, you know they're going to be addictive. So you've got to step back. You've got to have balance. We have to take responsibility for our own actions. I mean, and the worst part is, is, is <laughs> he's suing them for... I forget the amount of rubles, but it's the equivalent of $7,000. What are you going to do with $7,000? But, yeah, no personal responsibility in his life. Something else we tend to do, if we're not blaming the devil, is we're blaming God for things not going right. Blaming God because we're not healed, because we're not whole. God, how come you haven't healed me of this, this lung cancer? And God's like, why are you still smoking? God, why did, you, why did you let my house get flooded? Why did you buy a house next to a river that floods every year? I mean, sometimes we have to take responsibility for our actions. And we have to make wise decisions. I can say, God, how come I'm not losing weight? How come you keep eating cake every day? At some point, we have to take responsibility for our actions. Amen? You see, the Scripture teaches that we are responsible for our own actions and the truth is we're responsible for much of what happens to us in our lives so let's go ahead and take a look at what the word has to say about it in ezekiel eighteen nineteen through 20 it says yet you say why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father when the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes he shall surely live 
The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the inequity of the father, nor the father suffer for the inequity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. See, the first idea that I want to tackle today is this idea that everything in my life is somebody else's fault. Because the scripture is pretty clear that what happens in your life is your fault. Right here it says that, that uh, the soul who sins shall die, the son shall not suffer the inequity of the father. He's basically saying what the father does doesn't affect the son. What the father does affects the father. What the son does affects the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And the reason that Ezekiel is having to argue this, make this argument that a person is responsible for their own actions is because well, there's a couple of reasons. One is the, this, this, uh, uh, the Jewish idea of, of oneness as a nation. And there are promises towards, towards Israel, towards the Jewish people that are towards the nation. And there were some things that happened to Israel that was because as a, as a, as a whole, they were doing some dumb stuff. And they kept walking away from God and pulling themselves out. So, so when you, when you, how many know when you walk away from God, when you turn your back on God and you stop listening to what he has to say and you ignore him, then the devil's going to come on in and have his way with you. And that's the first idea they're dealing with is that as a, as a whole, you know, the people are paying for what happened to the nation. And two, uh, there's some, some slight misinterpretation of some previous scriptures. And one, I'll read a couple of them. It's about four places that it mentions this. But in Exodus 25, it says, You shall not bow down to them to serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Numbers 14.18 says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving inequity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Now I can understand how that can be read as saying that dad messes up and, and three generations of children get to pay the price for it. But the implication here, what's actually being taught is, is if the sons keep doing the same sins the father's doing, they're going to suffer the same inequity. And that's what's going on here, and the reason I believe that, and I feel like I'm sound in teaching that as one, this is Ezekiel teaching something completely different. And when the law was given, even Moses taught that very same thing, and he's, he's the one that gave some of this. Moses taught in Deuteronomy 24:16, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their father. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. So either we have some seriously conflicting things, or we're misunderstanding one of them. And the truth is, is what God was saying is that if you keep on doing the same stuff your father does, you're going to be in the same kind of mess your father was in, amen? But it's your own responsibility that takes care of it. Not only that, Ezekiel, about the same time that Ezekiel is preaching this, Jeremiah is also saying the same thing. In, in Jeremiah 31, 29-30, it says, In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. That was a, a popular saying at the time. Basically, it was saying that the dad ate the sour grapes, and it affected the children. Their teeth are set on edge. But Jeremiah says, But everyone shall die for his own inequity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. The scripture is clear that we are responsible for our own actions and ultimately our own consequences. Amen? When we do dumb, dumb stuff happens to you. All through the scripture you see you reap what you sow. And nothing has changed for us today. How many know that this, this truth in the Old Testament thousands of years ago it's still applicable to us today because why God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. 
he, God doesn't change. The, the stuff that God laid out never changed. The truth is, is that we're responsible for our own actions. And the idea that someone else is responsible for our actions or what we do and the consequences of our actions and what's going on in our life, it's unfounded and it's unbiblical. And like I said, I, I, I'm not unaware that in certain areas, people have certain advantages. And the fact of the matter is that if you're a young white man or a young white woman in a, in a well-to-do family, you're going to have certain advantages that, that someone that grew up in the slums of Detroit. I get that. But ultimately, no matter what, everything that we do in our life is, is ultimately the decisions that we make. And sometimes those decisions, even to do the right thing, can have consequences. We talked about a few weeks ago that sometimes doing the right thing causes bad things to happen in our life. We looked at Joseph's life, who did the right thing and instead got thrown in prison. Right? When he, when he refused to, to sleep with Potiphar's wife. And the truth is that, that you know, most of the time when we do so, or any time, a gun was never put to our head. But I want you to know that when you make those decisions, even if a gun was put to your head, you have a choice. Your options aren't positive in either direction, but you still have a choice. You, know, you hear what I'm saying? Our actions and our decisions are our own. In Romans 14, 10 through 12, it says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself. It doesn't say that I'm going to have to give an account for somebody else or somebody's going to have to give an account for me. When you go to God and you're like, God, but this person did that and that's why I did this. He's like, what's he got to do with what you did? We have to give an account for ourselves. See, what was happening here is the folks in the Roman church here, they're passing judgment on one another for just some silly stuff. Some people are eating meat. Some people aren't. And some people are celebrating certain holidays and some people weren't. And they're getting all up in arms about, you know, why are you eating meat when you shouldn't be eating meat sacrificed to idols? And the other ones are getting up in arms and why are you still celebrating this holiday? You know, it's kind of like today a lot of times in some circles, if we would have told people that, hey, we're doing a, an outreach on Halloween and we're going to just let people come dressed up and do all kinds of stuff, come to our front door and we're going to give them candy and we're going to celebrate this holiday and People would throw a fit because we did that, because we're celebrating. Don't you know that's the devil's day? I'm not celebrating it for the devil. I'm going to give this one to Jesus. He can have it back. But that's what's happening. They're judging people for silly stuff, getting all up in arms about silly stuff. And he's like, why are you passing judgment on your brother? And he's not talking about sin here. The scripture says that we need to, to, to deal with sin. But this isn't sin he's dealing with. It's people that want to eat meat or people who want to be vegetarian. Just nonsense. And he says, why do you judge one another? Don't you know that we're all going to stand before God? He actually says right before this, he says, why are you judging somebody else's servant? Basically saying God's their master, not you. They're going to have to answer to God. If there's an issue with them eating meat or if there's an issue with them celebrating this holiday, they're going to have to answer to God. What are you getting involved for? Just stay out of it. Because the truth is, each of us will give an account of himself before God. Don't worry about somebody else. Worry about yourself. 
And I want to make it clear when it's talking about this, that each of us will give an account to himself before God. He's not talking about sin. Sin has been dealt with. Sin, God, Jesus came down, he died for your sin, your sin is forgiven. You're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account of your life. But he's not going to be pointing out all your sin because what does the scripture say? That sin is as far as you from the east as from the west and he'll remember your sins no more. It would be very difficult for God to not remember your sins no more and then begin to point them out. You know what I'm saying? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. I'll read that again. He who believes in him is not judged. And he who does not believe has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So when we stand and give an account before God, if you're a born-again believer, if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, and you've been made brand new, then, then sin is dealt with. You don't have to worry about that. But you still got to give an account for what you did with your life. He's going to say, were you generous with your earthly wealth? He's going to say, were you there for your brothers? Was your life a witness to God and a witness of God's love? You're going to give an account for the words that you spoke. He's going to ask, did you reach anybody for the gospel? Or did you just sit on your blessed assurance the whole time? When you stand before Jesus, is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, well done? The result of this accounting is never going to result and someone going to heaven or hell. That was decided if you took Jesus into your heart or not. God didn't make that. And once again, people, God, this whole idea that somebody is always somebody else's fault. You ever heard somebody say, God would never send anybody to hell? I agree. God's not sending anybody to hell. They're sending themselves. They have to take responsibility for their own actions. They made the decision not to accept the, the simplest gift on the planet just to say, Lord, I believe that you died for me and I accept it. And I believe that in you I'm brand new. It's so incredibly simple. Yet people want to reject it. When we stand before God, we're giving an account for basically our reward. In 2 Timothy 4, 6-8 it says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also who have loved his appearing. And in Revelation 22.12, it says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompensance with me to repay each one for what he has done. You're going to give an account for your life, and you're going to receive a reward from Jesus. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, if you've done what you're supposed to have done with your life. And it's all going to be based on the decisions you've made. You're not going to be able to blame the pastor. You're not going to be able to blame your parents. You're not going to be able to blame your spouse. And when we receive these rewards, we're going to do with them in the same manner as the 24 elders in the book of Revelations. In Revelation 4, 9 through 11, it says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, 
saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You're going to receive a reward to throw down at the feet of Jesus because everything you have is because of him anyway. And like I said, you're not going to get to use the excuses, nobody told me, or I don't know. The truth is, even those who, who have never heard of Jesus, or they pass away never hearing, hearing of Jesus, Paul said that the earth testifies of God and that we are all without excuse. You're not going to be able to use the excuse, well, so-and-so did it, so I thought I could do it. Or you're not going to be able to use the excuse, I thought somebody else would do it. And I pray every day that somebody else doesn't have to do the job that God gave me to do. Because that's my responsibility. <clears throat> In Genesis 3, 9-13, it says, But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, Why is this that you, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Did you know that this generation is not the first generation to try to pass the buck? From day one, as soon as, 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 as man was broken, as soon as, they ate from that, as Adam ate from that tree, man became broken, sent it into our lives, and we immediately began making excuses. Adam did the one thing that he was told that he couldn't do. And when he asked why he did it, what is his answer? The woman that you gave me. In one fell swoop, he blamed Eve and he blamed God at the same time. He said, the woman, it's her fault that you gave me. That's how it all started. All at once, he blamed God and the woman at the same time. And like, you know what? No one had a gun to Adam's head. She could have said, eat from this. And he could have said, hey, no, God said not to. Back the truck up. But instead, he, he did what he wasn't supposed to do. He ate. And he was responsible for that action. His own action, the decision that he made. And then God asks Eve, well, why did you do this? And she goes, the devil made me do it. She begins to pass the buck immediately. I mean, the devil was talking to her. Eve could have said, no, devil, get away from me. God said we're not supposed to eat from this tree. And you know what? I believe him over you. But instead, she made a decision. We can't live our lives holding other people or the devil responsible for the decisions that we make in our lives. And the truth is, it all boils down to the decisions that we make. Especially if you're born again, because if you've been born again, you're not even under the bondage of, of death anymore. You're not even a slave to sin anymore. The only way that stuff can have any power over you is if you let it. So the story continues on. Genesis three fourteen through 15 The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and he shall bruise his heel. Nobody was without, excuse, without uh, um, having to take responsibility for what happened in this situation. First, the devil had to take responsibility for what he did. 
And right here, it says, he said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. I bet you snakes are all ticked off right now. Why did he have to take the form of a snake? Why couldn't he have been a cat? Let the cats get kicked. And the snake's got a bad rap here. And it's true to this day. I mean, you look, I look at people, Michelle's dad told me the other day, because we have two snakes in the house. We got them as pets. And, and uh, Haley was talking about bringing hers down to show them. And, and Ken, and Michelle's dad, he just can't stand them. And he said, the only thing snakes are good for is killing. And he didn't mean they were good at killing. He meant that they were good for killing, like they need to be killed. And my wife doesn't like snakes, so I don't know how we got them in the house. And I know uh, Hector's wife, Maria, is terrified of snakes as well, as well as the kids. And, and there's this, this is, the scripture is, is true in this case. People are terrified of snakes. They are, they are trampled underfoot. They, I mean, the, the reason that rattlesnakes developed the rattle on their tail is because buffalo stepped on them. They developed them to warn the buffalo and the plains of the United States. And, and it's amazing that this holds so... Well, it's not amazing. Did you ever wonder when you read the scripture or God does something, you're like, man, this is amazing, when it shouldn't be amazing at all, it should be absolutely normal? Yeah. But yeah, so this is true. The, the snake got a bad rap here. And then he says, and, and now there's going to be constant enmity between us and the devil. And that's true. We're, the devil is, is at our throats all the time, and we're standing against him all the time. And he wants to bring everyone down with him as he can. And then he goes on to say that, that between your offspring and offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And we know how this plays out, right? Because the devil tried to kill Jesus, tried to kill him, and all he did was bruise his heel. And not only that, God turned it around and, and killed the devil in return, destroyed his hold. So... Jesus at the cross had his heel bruised, but when he rose again, the devil had his head crushed in. Sin, the bondage of sin was broken. Death was beaten. And then he goes on to say, as he's talking to Adam and and Eve, he says to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth, and in pain you shall bring forth children. And your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened. (laughs) Yeah, did you notice that uh, being married is is now your penalty? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now both Adam and Eve have to face the consequences of their decisions. And as we can see, the excuse of the devil made me do it didn't fly. Because now women have painful childbirth. I guess childbirth before this was going to be a whole lot easier. No epidermals in the Garden of Eden. Epidural, sorry, epidural, sorry. Zibit. No drugs. Apparently it didn't hurt. I once heard a joke that said... When, it, when, uh, when Adam and Eve ate from the fruit of the Garden of Eden, the women were, were cursed with the, with the pain of live childbirth, and men were cursed by having to be around when this happened. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes on to say that uh, even worse, you're going to desire your husband. And I've seen some of us guys, and you guys got it rough. And then Adam didn't get off either, right? Because, you know, he just cursed all of mankind and his. But you first notice God's words when he said it. He says, because 
Who listened to the voice of his wife? Because you listened to the voice of your wife. And because you have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. The consequences to Adam's actions were, were his own. They were his decision. He didn't blame. Mankind is not cursed to death because Eve ate from the, from the Garden of Eden, ate from the fruit. Now, many times you hear the argument that it's all women's fault and if they wouldn't have done this, then you know, you know, everything would be better. We'd all be in the garden. You've, you've heard people make that silly argument. But the truth is that at the moment that, that uh, Eve ate, Nothing had happened to mankind. It wasn't until Adam ate that that was passed down from generation to generation. Bad news for us guys that it was Adam that screwed up. He could have not listened to his wife. I mean, men nowadays never listen to the wife. Why couldn't he not listen to his wife this one time? But, but because of that, as a result, death was released upon the world. And not just man was sentenced to death and so was the earth. There was no death before Adam ate from this fruit, and now everything dies. And now we have to toil and labor to survive. It says here that, that there wasn't even thorns and thistles before this happened. When they were, when they were cultivating the garden, there was, there was no need for gloves. It was easy, easy peasy. Now not so much. And from this point on, we were broken. And that was the consequence of his action. Not anybody else's. He couldn't blame it on his wife. He couldn't blame it on the devil. He made that decision. And if God's not going to let Adam and Eve, his first two creations, off the hook, he's not going to let us off the hook for our decisions. Amen? The reason I went all the way back to Genesis to show, because you'll see this all throughout the Scriptures, people having to take responsibility for their own actions. But the reason why I went back to Genesis is because this is from day one. The first man and first woman we're trying to pass the buck. And it's not a new game. But neither is taking responsibility for your own actions. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 3, 5-8, it says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage according to to his labor. So we just looked at what the scripture has to say about, about taking responsibility for your own actions, and I want to take a quick look at what the scripture has to say about us being owed something. It's this entitlement attitude that I want to deal with here, and in this case, it's spiritual entitlement. You see what was happening here in Corinthians, if you know, we've been doing the life group with us, is, is everyone was up in arms because they were trying to somehow apply spiritual superiority to one another, depending on who they were discipling under. Oh, I'm, I'm with Apollo, so I'm better. No, I'm with Paul, so I'm better. And they were just being basically thinking that they deserved something based on who they studied under. Somehow they figured that, that who they studied under elevated their status in the church. Basically, they were playing favorites. And the truth is, if somebody was trained under Paul, it does not guarantee special privilege or treatment because we're not entitled to anything. And he used an example that everybody could understand. Wages and work. He says that we receive wages according to his labor. He's making the point that we all get it. If you go to work, if you don't work, you don't get paid. Your, your wages are what you... So it doesn't matter who you work for. It doesn't matter if, if your best friend's the boss. If you don't go to work, you don't get a paycheck. 
or the company folds real quick. And we, we can all understand that even today, this, this understanding that, that it doesn't matter that, that who you sit underneath. I mean, if you were Billy Graham's disciple, it doesn't make you a better Christian than the person that, that learned everything by, by spending time reading from the Word on his own. There's no privilege there, and we're not owed anything based on who we came underneath. And that's what Paul's getting at. You're not owed anything. You're not, you're not entitled to anything. Your wages are according to your own labor. And in our ministry, our reward or our wage is not the result of who we are friends with or who trained us or who we know, but it's a result of what we are doing with what God gave us. Amen? I'll try to pick it up here a little bit. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. We just talked about spiritual entitlement. Now I want to talk about material entitlement, which is what we really deal with in this country because everybody thinks they're owed something. Go to the ant, O sluggard, Proverbs 6, verse 6. Consider her ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. You know, Proverbs is full of applicable wisdom to your everyday life. I would recommend that you read that as often as you can because you'll grab nuggets out of there that you can apply in your everyday life that will change the way you live and change your attitude and how you see things. But right here, the, the writer is saying, you know what, take a look at the ant who works all day long, works diligently day and night, and as a result, she always has what she needs for any season. If a drought comes in or, you know, if, the, if something comes in, they have plenty because they stored it. She was wise. She kept working and she did what she had to do. It's like, you know, you guys have all heard the, uh, the, the proverb, too, of the, the ant and the grasshopper, the story we were told as kids where the, the ant worked and worked and worked and the grasshopper played and played and played. But when the winter came, the grasshopper had nothing. And the problem is, is that happens today, except for the grasshopper thinks that the government owes them something. That they're entitled to, to be taken care of. They're entitled to be fed. They're entitled to be clothed and sheltered when they didn't do anything. They didn't work. They didn't, they didn't take any responsibility for themselves. And the scripture says, don't be like the sluggard. Because here's what's going to happen if you're a sluggard. Somebody isn't guaranteed to take care of you. It says that if you have a, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, it says that poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. It's interesting that he used these words. It doesn't say poverty will come upon you, but it says like a robber and want like an armed man. Basically, it's going to come upon you with force, and you're not going to have any choice but to take what's coming your way because of the decisions that you made. And the scripture nowhere says that, that you were to be taken care of if you're a lazy bum. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that we should take care of people. We love people. We do it of our own accord. And we'll deal with this more next week when we're looking at practical application. So don't, don't confuse what I'm saying as saying that we shouldn't take care of everybody, leave everybody to their own devices. Because there's legitimate reasons that people may need help. But you know when they shouldn't get our help? If they refuse to do anything. If they walk around with that entitlement attitude but don't show any effort, any, anything on their part. I just don't get today how so many people expect somebody else to pay 
at their expense, when they're unwilling to do anything about it on their own. This whole 1%, 99% argument that goes around drives me bonkers. Because most people that are in the 1% have worked their butt off to get where they're at. And I would encourage every single one of them to be generous and to give. But that's of their own decision. And the rest of the people that have nothing should not be allowed to... They're not owed what these other people have worked hard for. Now, as believers, I think we should be generous. We should take care of people. And if you're in that level of of group where you've been blessed and you have plenty of money, the, the Scripture says that you are blessed for every good work. Not to just stow it away for yourself. We should be doing a good work with, with our, our, our earthly earnings and wages. But at the same time, anybody who's not willing to at least make an effort should never think that somebody else owes them just because they have it better than you. Especially when the reason they have it better than you is because you weren't willing to do anything to better yourselves. Amen? Galatians 6, 4-5 through 5 says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Actually, Paul's dealing with this very thing right here. The scriptures that are right before this, in Galatians 6, 2, it says, Bear one another's burden, so fulfill the law of Christ. But then he says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Wait a minute, Paul. One, we say bear other people's load, but then you say bear your own load. Well, if somebody's bearing my load, how can I bear my own load? This doesn't make any sense, Paul. You're talking in circles. But what he's dealing with is, is, you know what? Fulfill the law of Christ and bear one another's burdens. But then he wants to make sure that nobody's doing like people are doing today and say, oh, they have to take care of me. They have to give me money. Well, then I don't have to do anything. He says, no, test your own work. And the reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. We shouldn't be relying on our neighbors. You know, it's a funny thing, because as Christians, we should be doing everything we can to help our neighbors, but as Christians, we shouldn't be relying on our neighbors to take care of us. We have a responsibility of our own. Because generosity and caring for me is from out of the love of the heart. It's not a, 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 a duty. Like when we give, when we, when we help people, it's not duty that we do it for. It's not this requirement. It's not a spiritual checklist. Like if I give to enough people, then I'm guaranteed to go to heaven. It's out of love that was given towards us is why we do those things. That's why we express it. It's a natural result of what God gave to us is to give to others and to bear one another's burdens. But at the same time, Paul wanted to make sure that people weren't taking advantage of that. Because it's so easy to take advantage of somebody else's kindness. Amen? Basically, you need to get off your butt and help yourself as well. And we'll go ahead and uh, finish here. In Ezekiel 33, 2-5, it says, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them, and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. See, God's giving this story here, this example, and he says, you know what, if, if, if war is going to come on the land, if the sword is going to come on the land, 
a watchman needs to be set up to keep watch and, and do as watchmen do. They watch. They keep an eye out. And his responsibility was to let the people know if trouble was on the way. And if he blew the horn and gave the warning, then the responsibility came off of his shoulders and was laid upon each individual person that heard that warning. The watchman wasn't required to save the people. They were required to take action themselves. And actually, if you read on here, it says, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and doesn't blow the horn, now he's responsible because he wasn't responsible. For, he's responsible for his own actions. His job is to blow the horn. If he blows the horn, he's good. If he doesn't, he takes accountability for that. And the people that hear the horn, their responsibility is to take action to save themselves. We live our lives with one another. We watch out for one another. We love one another. We bear each other's burdens. But the ultimate responsibility for what's going on in our own lives is our own. So this morning, as I've ministered, I know it's kind of, it can be sometimes a tough message. I hope it was challenging. But I think at the end of it, I, I think that we need to be a people. And let's resolve to be a people who take responsibility for our own lives, being careful to do all that he has commanded us. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and send our feet.